Amen. I want to greet the pastor, the leadership of the church, and the congregation at large in the name of Jesus. I'm excited to be here tonight. And, and the privilege I've been given just to come and spend these two dates tonight and tomorrow, you know, with the church and the music team and just talking further, digging deeper from the word of God with regard to the subject of worship. Amen. So as Buddhist Pure has introduced me, Kamala, my name is Churchill. I am a born again child of God. Probably I need to I need to get this out of the way. I got born again in nineteen ninety-three. Yes, it was it, it was in nineteen ninety-three. As a matter of fact, it, it was the twenty-fifth of December. The day was a Saturday. And the time was 10.45 at night. The verse that was preached was Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Full stop right there. And the speaker was uh, Dr. Jewel Mutlafi. I was 14 years old when I accepted Jesus. As a young man, I realized that uh, if he is the shepherd, with him he shall not want. And at that time, I was going through too many wants personal, financial, emotional, even relational. I realized that, no, if I can have this shepherd, maybe I think he can help me with my wants. 14 years of age, I got born again. So personally, I've been working with the Lord a good 28 years. I've never looked back. He has never failed me. And yeah, if given a chance, I'll choose him again, man. And today, when I look at the guys I grew up with, who never made the decision, I made it when I made it. Now I understand the Zulu song that says, yeah. You can see, I think the only thing that's selling me old, that I'm older is this gray hair. But otherwise, I'm still young at heart, man. And you're all going to see tonight that, no, this guy is not as old as he looks. You know, it's because of the grace and the blood of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> so, but... Maybe as my introduction, it's very important for me to always mention that I got born again in 1993. It was in December. Why? Because I also need to make you aware that I started serving as a music minister or worship leader in 1990. I started serving as a music minister. I started serving in this ministry on this podium in the church space. I started serving in 1990. But I only got born again in 1993 on the 25th of December. No, no, no. I have to say this because this is the key introduction. If you miss this, then you miss the gist of what I'm going to deal with tonight. I got born again in 1993, but I started serving as a worship leader in 1990. Meaning, in the years I've been born again, I served as a worship leader in a church for three years, and yet I was not born again. Serving as a worship leader, leading the church in worship, serving as a musician, instrument, keyboard player, but I was not born again. Then it was the joy of my heart because I wanted to be on the stage. <laughs> you know, but knowing now what I know now and looking at how I got into this thing, that's the passion I have for this ministry. That now I realize today that what happened then shouldn't have happened. 
but it just proves to me the situation, the reason why as the church with regard to the ministry of worship or the worship life of the church, the reason we are where we are is because of the desperation, watch it now, for good music. I was not born again, but man, I could sing, man. <laughs> I was not born again, but I could play. So, so sometimes, because of the desperation for good music, which exposes our ignorance of what worship is and what it's about, we place any Tom, Dick, and Harry that can play, that can sing. Without, even do, with, without doing due diligence to check, are these people born again? Because the problem is, if you're not born again, then where are you leading us? Because if you're not born again, you aren't leading us in worship. Yes, you're leading us in songs, but not worship. You're helping us sing, but you are causing us the worship experience. The fact that you're not born again is the reason why we're not breaking through in our worship. Why? Because unless you are born again, you cannot worship God. It's impossible to worship the Father unless you have gone through salvation. You know, knowing what I know now, and I looked at how things happened then, I realized that, ooh, we have a, there's a problem in the church. And probably maybe it's the reason, now looking at how we do worship in the church today, I realized that this is where God is telling me to deal with the restoration of true biblical worship. Let me paint a picture with you before I get on to just sharing a little bit about the books. When studying the Bible and you look at how the tabernacle was set up, God called Moses to Mount Sinai. You remember after they crossed the Red Sea and they landed into the desert of Sinai. God called Moses to the mountain. And at the mountain, God gives Moses the pattern of the tabernacle. The instruction was, see to it that you build according to the pattern. You know, so God had a pattern for the actual building. God also had a pattern for the operation. God elected the Levites to serve in the tabernacle. Why the Levites? I, I won't get into too much thought about it, but if you read Exodus 29, you'll understand no, actually Exodus 31, where the Bible talks about the golden calf. After that experience, that's when God chose the Levites. But God said to Moses, this is the, the nation that will serve in my house. Meaning everything that needed to be done in the tabernacle, either the cleaning, the picking of the, of, of the ark, the, 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 the holy things, you know, the sweeping, the sacrifice, only the Levites qualified to do that. Meaning, if you were born from the nation of Judah, my sister, and you were the greatest singer in Israel, but the fact that you were not born from the nation of Levi disqualified you in the temple. You were born from the nation of Dan. Thank God for your voice. You can sing in funerals, in weddings, in graduations. But in the temple, the criteria for serving in the temple was not ability. It was bloodline. From which nation are you from? Not what can you do. So the criteria for intake in temple service, whatever the service was, it was not that, I, pastor, we heard he can sing. We heard we can sing, praise God. Question, are you born again? Number two, are you filled with the spirit? Because if we never come to ask those questions, 
then we can't blame the worship experience in the house. The reason for the absence of the cloud, it's not because of the cloud. It's because the church has violated the standard that attracts the cloud. The gift attracts the crowd, but the violation of the standard repels the crowd. No, what? let me rephrase it. The gift attracts the crowd, but the violation of the standard of God repels the cloud. No wonder there's no glory. I didn't plan to start with sweet, with hard stuff, but I'm following the Holy Spirit. You see what I mean? So I think it's important for me just to lay this foundation and just drop these thoughts so you can see the intensity of the conversation you're going to have today. That tonight, we're not going to be talking about mic technique. What good is a mic technique with the wrong heart technique? <laughs> so tonight, we're not going to be talking about vocal projection. Because if your voice projects well, but your lifestyle does not project the holiness, then the projection of the voice is insignificant to the recipient. The difference maker in our gatherings is the presence of God. Remember what Moses argued with God in Exodus 33 in the mountain. The argument was, you called me to lead these people to the promised land. I don't have a problem. The problem I have is, who's coming with me? Because I can't do this thing alone. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, there's no point for us to gather on Sunday morning. Why? Because out of all the gatherings, the, the, the bicycle racing, the societies, and us here on Sunday, the only thing that makes this different from everything else is not the suits. It's not the English, but it's the presence. So I learned from Moses. Moses said, Churchill, you can play with everything, but don't pray with principles that guarantees the presence. Because if you lose the presence, you lose the difference maker. But watch it now. The presence of God is atmosphere sensitive. The presence of God is attracted by, watch it, compliance to his principles. And that's why we are here tonight. Amen. Why are we here? We're here to start talking about the restoration, watch it now, of true biblical worship. Because once we restore the principle, we understand the standard. You don't have to fast three days calling God to come. Once his standard is restored, the standard attracts the presence. Watch it. The fire of God never falls on an empty altar. The altar is here. This is the place. But the question of where is the sacrifice that attracts the presence? Amen. So that's what we'll be dealing with today. And, oh man, may God help me to offload all that he has sent me to offload in this place. Amen. And I've been given enough time, but I think it's in my heart. I want to do it in such a way that probably maybe for the first few minutes, I want to lay the lesson and drop the principles and then probably towards the end and maybe create some, an interactive session. You know, so that I don't want to be the one who keeps on bombarding you with biblical principles and stuff like that. But I also want to, to kind of like deal with some of the hindrances or the struggles that we have personally and congregationally with worship. Is that all right with you? Amen. So quickly now, let me, let me just maybe take you through some of the books I've written because I know some of the things I'm going to share with you. I may not be able to go in depth, but the books go in depth on that. So by God's grace, 
I've been serving as a worship leader for 30 years. This is my 30th year serving as a worship leader. But I've been teaching on worship specifically. This is my sixth year teaching on worship, having given myself time to do a research and study the Bible and just pull out and add principles to understand that watch it now. This is my thesis. Most of the places in the Bible where there is a music scenario or a praise encounter in the Bible, you will find there's a, there's a phrase or a, a... No, no, no. There's a word that the Bible uses. It will say, Suddenly. For example, when you read 2 Chronicles 5, 12, the Bible says the musicians were joined in unison and they lifted up their voice in praise and thanksgiving to God. 2 Chronicles 5, 12. The Bible says when they sang, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. The Bible says immediately, watch it, the cloud of glory filled the temple. In the Bible, in every music encounter, there is a suddenly, there's an immediately, or there's and God. And I ask myself, why is it every time we're having a music encounter, a praise session, quote-unquote, but we hardly have the suddenness in our times that we read about in the Bible. And yet the God of the Bible said he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He said he never changes. Why is it when we do what they did, we don't get what they got? It became a problem to me. Because I'm 20 years deep serving in this music ministry. I keep on reading about things that I never experienced. I said, Lord, I'm switching off the music. You have to explain these things to me. So, another encounter, 2 Kings 3.15. That one I love, my brother. The Bible says, Elisha was agitated. He was angered by the presence of Jezebel's son. The Bible says about the three kings that came to Elisha to inquire the word from the Lord. For me, it's like Umzalwane came to church, coming to the pastor, please prophesy. And when the pastor sees, oh, because this son was the son of Jezebel, Jezebel who was harassing Elijah's master, Eli, no, Elisha's master, who is Elijah. And Elijah had a personal issue. So it teaches me that the man of God could not prophesy, not because God was not saying anything. But because of a personal problem. Yes, people looking for a word. The pastor can't speak a word. Not because he's not anointed. He's anointed. But because of a personal problem. The Bible says, watch it. The Bible says, Elisha said, bring me now a musician. Not an intercessor. Bring me a musician. The Bible says, 2 Kings 3.15, when the musician began to play, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he prophesied. The music solved the problem of the preacher. And I looked at that. Why is it our music sometimes never solves the emotional problem of the speaker? Why is it after we have sang for 30 minutes, the speaker still has to come here and sing his own song? To try and fix what this 30 minutes failed to address. Allow me to present my case first. <laughs> Allow me to present my case. Why is it after we have sung for, 50, for 30, 45 minutes, sung we are sweating, but are not solving the problem? 
having jumped up and down, but there's no hand of the Lord. It's in the Bible. But we're not seeing it in our reality today. And yet we are worshiping the same God. That is a problem to me. <laughs> Let me take another, uh, uh, maybe two, 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 two evidences. The scripture we know, Second Chronicles 20, we know Jehoshaphat. He's attacked by the three nations, the Moabite, the nation of Moab, Mount Seir, and, 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 and I believe it's Ammon. They come in to attack Jehoshaphat. He's scared of his socks. After he prayed, the, the Lord speak through Jehazel. And the next morning, Jehoshaphat appoints people to sing and to praise. The Bible says, when they began to sing, for the Lord is good, his mercy and just forever, the Lord caused the enemy to fight against one another. And Jehoshaphat got into the battlefield not to fight, but to pick up his victory. And then I asked the scripture, why is it that we come to church, we begin to sing and finish, but God does nothing to the problems in our homes? Last one, Acts 16.25. We quote this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God. Watch it. The foundations of the prison did what? Shook. The prison doors did what they opened. The chains were loosed. Praise God, it happened in the Bible. Question, why is it when we sing and praise, nothing shakes? There's no earthquakes in your problems. You sing, but still imprisoned. No doors are opening up. Bazalon, this is my thesis. Music scenarios in the Bible where there's people who are praising the Lord. There's suddenly and immediately, oh, and God did this. We are serving the same God. But we ain't going, we ain't, we're not experiencing the same divine response. And my question to the scripture was, what went wrong? The answer was, Whenever a biblical promise does not manifest in our lives, the problem is never with God, but it's always with us. Oh, I'm getting there. <laughs> Whenever you find a biblical promise and you do what they did, but you don't get what they got, the fault is never with God. God is always right. The problem is always with us. <laughs> For example, remember David when he wanted to, to restore the ark back to Jerusalem. The first time David went, somebody died. And David got mad. He was angry. He aborted the project. But the problem, the fault was not with God. The fault was with David. He did the right thing, but the wrong way. We come here every Sunday. We do the right thing for 30 minutes, but the wrong way. And then we wonder why we don't get the result. Now, this is what I've learned. Watch it. Every biblical promise is governed by biblical principles. There are things in the Bible that you don't have to pray for. All you need to do, look for the principle that governs the promise. Once you find the principle, the principle will produce the promise. Now, when I study this, Mr. Spew, when I study these things, I checked these guys in Second Chronicles who sang and the cloud came. 
I checked Jehoshaphat, who sang and they got the victory. I checked Paul and Silas, who sang and there was breakthrough. These guys never prayed for these things. <laughs> no, 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 no. Paul did not pray and say, Father, we pray that when we sing, oh God, shake the prison, Father. We pray, Father. No, 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 no. They didn't ask for it. They did the doing. They did. Jehoshaphat, they, Jehoshaphat didn't ask God to, to confuse the enemy. He only sang, he did the right thing the right way. And the results, inevitable. Second Chronicles 5, Solomon's musicians did not go on intercession and say, Lord, as we are about to sing, let the cloud come, Father. Oh, Father, we cry for the cloud, oh God. Hey, let the cloud Ah, ah, Basalwan. You see, because we are in violation of biblical principles, we find ourselves as music ministers now, every weekend, fasting and praying for things we're not supposed to pray for. We are praying for things we are misaligned for. Prayer is not a substitution for obedience. <laughs> you can't pray for things that he's supposed to obey for. None of these guys ask God for the cloud or the breakthrough in the prison or the victory against the enemy. All they did, they aligned with the principle. Watch it. And the principle produced the breakthrough. So I'm here to declare tonight that my, my task for tonight is just for us to revisit biblical principles. Revisit biblical principles for worship. Once we grab hold of the principles, you don't have to pray for the cloud. The cloud will come by. Believe you me, I'm a living witness. I live in this realm because I had to study the principles. Let me, make, let me give you a biblical example about this, this assertion I'm making that the principle governs the promise. And according to the Bible, it's unbiblical to pray and ask God to give you long life. I need, I need to work on the principle so that, so that at least I give evidence to my statements and then we get onto the thesis for tonight. In the Bible, it's unbiblical to ask God for long life. God does not pay attention to a prayer asking for long life on earth. Oh, God, give me long life, Father. I'm praying for days on earth, oh God. I want to live up to 100. God doesn't pay attention to that prayer. Why? There's a principle in the Bible. That having long life. Honor your father and your mother. And your days on earth will. Shall be long. For, follow the principle. You will reap the days. No, 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 no. Believe us. We are disrespectful in our homes. Rushing to church to pray in tongues. Asking for long life. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Honoring your father and your mother guarantees long life. Dishonoring them and coming to sing at church shrinks your days on earth. It's a biblical principle. The principle governs the promise. So once we identify the principle and we honor and obey and comply with the principle, the promise is guaranteed. Guaranteed. You don't have to ask God, oh, Father, come. No, 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 no. I come is my standard honor. 
Because God is not just a God who gives principle, but he is a principled God. God has subjected to himself to the principles he has established in the Bible. If he honors his own principles, then we can't have his blessing in violation of the principles that he honors. Amen. Amen. So quickly. So now in the five years I've been teaching, the Lord has given me the grace. I've written nine books published, the published ones, besides the other one that there's no need for me to talk about. So let me just give you the titles of the books and then I get on the thesis for tonight. The first book I wrote, this I released, I wrote this in 2015. It's called Dear Worship Leader. Why? Because I, I want to take you through this because these books uh, deal with some of the subjects that, that I'm going to address tonight. Dear Worship Leader, in this book I share with anybody who serves in, in, on the stage in the music ministry about 12 principles that guarantees effectiveness. Principles that guarantees effectiveness. And two of my favorites, the first one is the one that deals with the relationship, watch it now, between the pastor and the worship team. That relationship is key, it's critical. Why? I'm glad you ask. In the two hours of the service duration, between the pastor and the worship team, that's where most time is spent. Announcement, you come here for three minutes, boom, you sit down. <laughs> Offering, you come here for five, seven minutes, boom, you sit down. But the worship team, the worship leaders, they take more time. Sometimes the pastor is even willing to cut his own time for them. So this relationship is critical. Why? The music ministry sandwiches the ministry of the word. It comes before, it comes after. Now this relationship is very critical. So now, one of the things that I share in this book is that now as a music minister, as a worship leader, one of the things that you need to do is to maintain a good relationship between you and the pastor you are serving under. Why? Anointing is relationship sensitive. You can't serve effectively in a, past, in a church whose pastor you don't relate well with. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can work effectively in a company whose manager you don't like, but not in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Here is either you fix the relationship or at least leave. Go find a, a pastor. <laughs> you want to relate well with. You are doing yourself a service and you are saving the congregants from loss of power. Whew. I feel like I'm stepping on people's toes. But maybe that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, one of the things that I deal with here in, the worship, in this book is to, is to show worship leaders that the relationship between you and your senior pastor makes this thing to flow. Because you are here for 30 minutes, he comes, he takes the service from you. And when he's done preaching, he leaves the service in your hands. So this relationship is very key. Very key. I teach on that and more. So the second book is Knowing the Truth About Worship. In this one, I, I deal with a lot of things, but one subject that I love, it's where I deal with the role of the Holy Spirit in worship. To teach now us as congregants, that worship is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Why? Because according to the Bible, the actual worship leader is not me with the microphone. The actual worship leader is the Holy Spirit. The, the music minister, watch it. 
We are not worship leaders. No, watch it. We are lead worshipers. Not worship leaders. The Holy Spirit is the worship leader. Because he, you see, the Holy Spirit is leading all the worshipers in the building in worship of the Lord. Why? He knows what God wants to accomplish with today's service. As a worship leader, I'm also dependent on him. That's why sometimes when I speak to worship leaders, I always want to make them aware. But watch this. We don't have the monopoly on the direction of the service. There are instances where as a worship leader, I miss the direction, but I can be helped by one of the worshipers on the floor. Because I don't have the monopoly of the spirit. So that's why when I lead worship, I must lead with humility. Not with arrogance as if I know what's in the mind of God. So I need to depend on the same Holy Spirit that you are depending on. Have you ever been in a service where the worship leader leads worship, but you can sense that ah, we are losing direction? But unfortunately, you are not holding the microphone. <laughs> so what do you do? No, 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 no. Personally, me. Don't do it. This is me. Nah. Disclaimer. Don't do it. This is me. When I sense that, I said, now, now we are losing the direction. Yeah, I know. You can't follow blindly sometimes. You have to trust the Holy Spirit that you have in your heart. Because if it's of the Spirit and we are of the Spirit, we must all go to the same place. It can't just be, Hey, Churchill Manuel. <laughs> let me leave these things. You see, the problem, this thing would be much better if it's done by someone else because now I'm the author. As I'm trying to tell about the books, I'm getting more revelations on things I didn't put in the books. Let's go on to today's test. <laughs> so now I'm rewriting the book instead of trying to tell you what. The spirit of the prophet. Yeah, is subject to the prophet. <laughs> let's get on to today's business. Quickly, let's talk about the restoration of true biblical worship. Why? Because I, 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 I've been informed today we, we have a, a mixed group. It's not just the music team only. But tomorrow, this tomorrow, I'll be able to, to get onto some of the practical aspects of the music ministry with the music team. Uh, Mara, maybe for, for, for the sake of that, yeah, well, for the sake of that, hold that thought. Let me just deal with this one. Call music ministry and ministers. Music ministry and ministers. I was invited to an interview and the name of the program was, is Music Ministry and Ministers. I asked them to send me questions in advance. They said, no, we want to do it spontaneously. So as I'm praying and I'm asking the Holy Spirit that you're going to have to give me a scope on what's in this man's mind. Because I don't like surprises. You know, I like to be prepared. The Holy Spirit said to me, no, don't worry about it. Why? I ask why. He said to me, it's because the, na the name of the program is going to be the title of your third book. I said, what? He said, music, ministry, and ministers. I said, how come? He said, an effective music ministry is three-dimensional. It's the music, the ministry, and the ministers. I said, break it down to me. He said, music, music is the, is the tool. Ministry is the task. The minister is the trusted. I said, now you're going to have to clarify to me. He said, Maruti, an effective music ministry is three-dimensional. Remember, when we're in high school and we're doing geometry, yes, it's geometry, dealing with the triangles. There's a triangle called a perfect triangle because all three sides are equal. So the Holy Spirit said to me, Maruti, an effective music ministry is a ministry that emphasizes all these three sides equally. Music, 
ministry and ministers because all three are important to the recipient of worship. I was like, he said, now the music is the tool. Ministry is the task. The minister is the trusted. I said, no, you're going to have to break it down for me. He said, the music is the bottle. Ministry is the water. The minister is the hand. This is an effective music ministry. Why? Because when people come to church on Sunday, most believers, they come here, they are thirsty. <laughs> and an effective music ministry looks like this to someone who's thirsty. The music is the bottle. Ministry is the water. The minister is the hand that carries the bottle that contains the water. It would be a shame to come here with beautiful bottles carried by manicured hands but have no water. Oof. Don't look at your fingers, ladies. <laughs> so, most of the time, we, we emphasize one aspect over the other. And then I said, Holy Spirit, then how then do I help the church to understand this effectiveness? He said, watch this. The three M's, music, ministry, and ministers. If you're writing, for music, what fixes the music is practice. I said, practice? He said, yes, practice. Not rehearsal. Practice. I said, wait a minute. Practice, not rehearsal. The Holy Spirit taught me. I didn't read this in the book. But the practice is what you do alone at home. Rehearsal is when we come together and fuse the practices in preparation for the recital tomorrow. The reason why, music ministers, music team, the reason why our rehearsals take long is because we try to rehearse with people who do not practice. Then we waste time. Because now we must stop the rehearsal and help you practice. <laughs> The Holy Spirit said the music in the church is a mess. People come here and say, don't listen to the voice, listen to the words. <laughs> how can you say you're bringing me water? Don't, drink, don't pick up the glass. Bring the, how can I drink the water without picking up the glass? <laughs> it's the glass that carries the water. So you can't tell me, don't touch the glass, just drink the water. You give me a straw. A straw is the tool. The straw is the music. <laughs> There's no way I can access the water without the tool. So we trap the, re the rehearsals become unnecessarily long route because we are trying to fuse and practice music. So practice what you do alone at home while you're washing the dishes. So that when you come together at the rehearsal, it's... Hey, I feel I'm helping somebody tonight. You see what I mean? <laughs> And this is where now conflicts begin in Ruth. Now, now, now I'm dishing out secrets now. This is where conflicts begin. You see them on Sunday, but they're not smiling. It's because of what happened yesterday at Reza. When the music leader said, come on, say Jesus. And the one who doesn't practice goes like, Jesus. He said, no, don't say G, say G, not G, G. No, my sister, my brother. No, 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 brother. Don't say G. It says G. You see now, it's something you should have done at home. 
tuning the G, 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 G at home alone. So when we come together, we bring the Jesus. So now we have to stop the rehearsal and help you practice alone. And then I think you become emotional. But every time you are stopping me, it's you who don't practice. <laughs> Church and people's things. So the music, practice. Then the Holy Spirit said, now for ministry, for ministry you don't need practice. No, no, no. For ministry you need prayer. Remember, practice makes perfect for performance. But it's prayer that makes effective for ministry. You can practice all you want if you don't pray. You, listen, if you practice more than you pray, you will perform better than you minister. Performance rate is there, but ministry, zero. Because practice helps performance. But ministry deals with effectiveness of your performance. Practice makes people cry when you sing. But prayer makes people repent when you sing. So music practice, ministry prayer. Then the last one, ministers is not practice. It's not necessarily prayer. But for ministers is purity. You practice, you pray, you strive for purity. When you stand here, heaven backs you up. Why? Because heaven is not drawn by songs. It's not drawn by the voice, no. He's drawn by the life. There is nothing in my voice that can impress God. Why? It comes from him. But there's everything in my purity that can impress him. Why? It comes from me. You can't impress God with a voice. I mean, trying to impress him with something he gave you. As a matter of fact, God has got better voices than what I'm trying to impress him with. So, I had to get that out of my chest. So, we'll be dealing with that and more. Tomorrow with, with the music team. So I had to just kind of like dangle the, the carrot for you who was thinking of doing washing tomorrow. So that you realize that, no, there's something more serious going on here tomorrow. Amen. So let's come back. Restoration of true biblical worship. Watch it now. Churchill, why restoration? What is the meaning of restoration? The word restoration carries the idea that we, it's a process where you are bringing something back to its original place. So my task for tonight, Maruti, is simply just to get us on a journey to revisit what the Bible says worship is. So we can see what the Bible says worship is and look at what we have today that we call worship. See, are there similarities between these two things? Why? So we can answer the question that worshipers in the Bible got divine interventions. In the Bible, it seems to me that in the Bible, where there's people who are praising and worshiping God, God responded. It was, it's almost like it was a norm in the Bible. It's too many of them. To me, it looks like that's how it's supposed to be. But to us, see how it's shocking to us when it happens. You see, this behavior that is in the church today, and I'm not criticizing anything, but I'm just trying to point, Ruth. This behavior that when there's a move while we are worshiping or while we are praising God, and you see believers taking out phones and going like, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, it can be explained. 
No, 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 no. Don't be too quick to judge people. It can be explained, Mrud. You know why? It's because we are not sure when next are we going to have this encounter. So we want to capture this moment. No, no, don't be too quick to, 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 to criticize people. My problem is that I, not my problem, maybe the thing about me, I always want to understand why people do things they do. And I realized, you know how I learned that? I saw that from my wife. The Holy Spirit. When did I take my wife's seat? I take her to, you know, your Wimpy or McDonald's. She walks in there, she does not even pay attention. She just press that thing and we eat and we leave. But when I take her to this restaurant where there's a tablecloth. <laughs> Come on, ladies, can I get a witness? When I take her to this restaurant that's got a tablecloth. When they bring that starter, that little dot on a white plate that's costing 90 rands, she takes out the phone and she takes pictures. There are places I take her, she walks in and out like we went nowhere. But there are these places, when we walk in there, she takes her phone out and starts taking pictures. Why? I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Don't be too quick to, to criticize my wife. I don't blame her. She doesn't know when next we're going to get to this level. So between now and then, please let me have some memories. <laughs> when she did that, Maruti, the Holy Spirit says, you see, this is how you behave. If we understood the Bible, knowing that every day with Jesus, we sing these things, but sometimes we don't understand them. We say every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. So if what's coming next is better than this, what's the point of capturing this? <laughs> if you know that there's something better, God, there's a visitation on Sunday. There's no need for me to capture this. Why? We are coming back on Wednesday. Something better is coming. No, but because we are not sure. So we might as well. So this culture is revealing a deeper problem more than just a social media issue. It's revealing to, to the onlooker that Hey, they've been introduced to a level they, they've never seen before. Eh? And somehow they're not sure, all of them, that they're going to get this again. It's like, oh, God, did us, God did us a favor today. And he might not ever again. So restoration carries the idea that something needs to come back to where it was. Churchill, so, the, so my task for tonight is switch off the phone. Stop capturing. Let's come back to the principle. Once we restore the principle, watch it. Praise and worship in the Bible. As the generation progressed, it got better. It got better. It's written, it's recorded for us to see that it's not meant to be the same. It's not meant to be stale. Remember what God said to Moses and Horeb. After they stayed there, God says, no, 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 break camp. Why? You've been here for too long. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But him being the same does not mean stagnant. 
It's the same. It means he never changes, but it does not mean he's stagnant. He's progressively revealing himself. That is why after they left Horeb and they came to Mount Zion, if you wanted to go back to Horeb and say, you see, this Mount Zion thing, man, doesn't sit well with me. I remember the days of Horeb. No, 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 no. Watch it. You are being traditional now. Because God is revealing something better, but you want to hold on to what used to be. There's nothing that's dragging a ministry, my pastor, like, a, like believers who want to worship God in a place he used to be. When Jesus died and the temp and the rope and the curtain was torn, God was saying, I'm no longer here. I'm changing addresses. So when you want me, stop traveling from Job coming to Jerusalem. I'm no longer in Jerusalem. I'm in your heart. So restoration means we are bringing something back to its original place. But now that's the English dictionary definition. It says you are bringing something back to where it was. But the biblical restoration does not only bring it to where it was. No, 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 no. I like that, Marut. According, the biblical restoration does not only bring it to where it was, it brings it to where it was, but in a better model than what it used to be. Oh, I, I, I need to come closer here. Watch it. When God restores, he doesn't do what he did before. He does a better job, man. <laughs> I have to explain this so that you can appreciate what we're trying to achieve tonight. That every time you sit down and you allow God to speak, in a, to speak into an area where you thought you knew, you are opening yourself for remodeling. <sighs> but if you hold on to what you know and say, I'm enough, that's the end of you right there. But if you're willing to sit down and allow God to speak in an area you thought you were an expert. My pastor, my ministry took a different turn. The day, 20, 23 years after serving, serving as a worship leader, I switched off the music. I said, Lord, I need, I need you to teach me. Whew. It was like I opened a tap of fresh water my root. I'm at a better dimension as a music minister now than I was when I began 30 years ago. Why? Because I did not want to be satisfied with what I knew. I always opened myself up for new, and God kept on pouring. Now, the restoration of the Bible, when God restores, he does, this is the phrase, when God restores, he does not repeat. He recreates. Churchill, give us examples, man. I'm glad you ask. Remember Job. The Bible, Job chapter 1, the Bible tells us what Job had. It gave us even the figures of the, the cows, the cattle, and the children. He had 10 children. And Job lost everything on God's account. But Job 42, when God restored, watch what happened. Job didn't get what he lost. <laughs> because when God restores, he does not repeat. He recreates. God had, Job had twice as much. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this to say to us, as now we are seated down and willing to open up our hearts for God to speak to us, when God restores the worship in this house, when we live here, our worship is not going to be like what it used to be. But it's going to be much better than what it was. We're going to start moving and tapping into dimension during worship that we only used to dream about. 
Why? Because when you open yourself for God to speak to you, he does not repeat. He recreates. But this is the evidence, the second one that I like. Remember the Bible says in Genesis, after God made man in his image, Adam, the Bible, when the Bible speaks about the relationship between God and Adam, the Bible will use this phrase. The Bible says, God visited the man. God did what? He visited. So a visitor doesn't come to stay. A visitor comes and the visitor leaves. With Adam, God was visiting. Watch it. Adam lost the relationship. Oh, I wish I could some publicists and Bible readers. When Adam lost the relationship, God sent Jesus to restore the relationship. Now that we are born again, God does not visit us now. Because when he restores, he does not repeat. He recreates in a better model. Now God does not visit, does not come with two pairs of jeans. No, he brought the whole wardrobe now. He dwells in us. Because when he restores, he does not repeat. But he recreates. It becomes better. So I'm saying this to encourage your faith. That now that we are seated down and, and the Lord is speaking to us about worship, this is restoration. This is not a repeat, but this is a restoration. Amen. So now, Churchill, restore, restoration of true biblical worship. Why worship? Why are you picking on worship? Because maybe, Tina, we are used to praise and worship. You know, what about praise? I'm glad you asked. Huh. When we listen to Jesus, God the Son, speaking, making comments about worship, both Jesus, and, and, and I want to intentionally pick on Jesus and Paul. Why? Because Jesus and Paul, amongst all the characters in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul played a key role in the establishment of the New Testament. Jesus, he was, you know, the one who sealed the New Testament. And Paul was instrumental in us understanding the, in the New Testament, what it means to be born again. You know, and both of them made comments about worship. But two things I liked about both of them. Jesus, when he made a comment about worship, his conference was not too crowded. One, when Jesus addressed the subject of worship, watch it, Muruti, when I saw this, it blew my mind. When Jesus addressed the subject of worship, Jesus left the singers in the temple. And he looked for a sinner at the well of Samaria. <laughs> I need to throw that abstract. When Jesus addressed worship, he left the singers. He didn't, he didn't speak to singers when he was dealing with worship. Actually, Jesus introduced the transition of worship from Moses' tabernacle to what David established. Jesus did not address singers. He left the singers in the temple and he located a sinner, not a singer. Jesus God the Son left the singers in the temple. He located a sinner and he discussed worship. Why? To teach us that worship is not what singers do on Sunday at the stage. But worship is a call. Worship is what sinners become. Not what singers perform. So, in my restoration attempt tonight, it's also deal with the renewing of the mind. Because most of the time, not just here, but 
in the body of Christ, when we speak about worshippers, we talk about the one who sings. And the question, if they are worshippers because they sing, you who don't know how to sing, what are you? You become the spectators. And with that misconception, another doctrines are birth, Maruti. Doctrines like, then they must get us into the spirit. Because are You know, the worshippers in our church, they're no longer putting us. And the question again, now that you want them to be just before Ungena, Magdalene where were you? If you long. Now that Sunday morning with Timukfagwa, where were you before Ufagwa? I know you won't admit it because but let me help you. But say, You were in the flesh the whole week, Sunday morning, the worshippers must father you emoyen. But let me deal, let me show you the, the fallacy of that thinking. Is that how can they do for you in 20 minutes of singing something you couldn't do for yourself in six days at home? I have six days at home. Sunday morning, the worshippers. You know, but when the Bible talks about worshippers, the Bible does not refer to singing. Watch it. But it refers to living. Not singing. So in the manner, when the Bible speaks about a worshipper, it doesn't speak about someone who can sing. It speaks about someone who lives according to the will of God. So the Bible does not connect worship and knowing how to sing. But it connects worship and living an obedient life. So when Jesus deals with worship, he leaves the singers, he locates a scene, and he discusses worship. And the one thing that stands out amongst many things is that the, the woman of Samaria says, which is the right place, Jerusalem or the mountain? Jesus says, my sister, the problem is not the place. The problem is revelation. Do you know the one you worship? Because you can be in the right place not knowing the one you worship. The place won't help you. Worship is not defined by where you are. It's defined by what you know about the one you worship. And Jesus said, you worship what you know not. So you can be in Jerusalem or the mountain. If you don't know him, worship is unacceptable. You know, but when Paul speaks about worship in Romans 12 verse 1, he says, I urge you now in view of God's mercy. Watch it. Now offer your bodies, not your voices. As a living sacrifice. Not out of convenience. Oh, holy and... Oh, my goodness. So, Paul takes worship. He puts it in the bottle of living a holy life. Not having a beautiful voice, but living anyhow. So, when we offer worship to God, it's not weighed against the hymns you sing but it's weighed against the heart you have. It's not the hymn, but the heart. It's not the song, but the saint. It's not the art, Ooh, but it's the heart. 
So when we talk about restoration, we're also talking about re- renewing our minds with what the Bible says worship is in contrast to what we have picked up worship to be from other practitioners and then come back to what the Bible teaches. So when we talk about restoration, we are bringing back to where it was. So now, Churchill, praise, worship, where does this to fit? Quickly, let me give you a few differences between praise and worship so you can appreciate why we are zooming in on worship today, tonight. Watch it now. One of the differences between praise and worship is that, watch it, praise is very easy because praise does not require anything of you. Praise requires everything of God. In praise, we are responders. We look, we see what God has done. We praise him for who he is and we thank him for what he has done. That's praise. But worship is not as easy. Why? Because worship requires everything of you. In praise, number two, in praise, watch it now, God is on the stage. We are the audience and are clapping for him. That's praise. Like when you're watching a football match in the FNP stadium and the star does something nice in the field and he scores and you stand up and you clap. That's how praise works. You come to church on Sunday, you did nothing during the week. God kept your family safe. God protected you. God gave you shelter. God gave you provision. You come Sunday and, oh, God, we thank you. That's praise. In praise, we are spectators. God is the audience. No, he's on the stage. We are the audience and are clapping. But in worship, it's the other way around. In worship, God is the audience. We are on the stage. And the question is, is he clapping? In praise, we are the audience. God is on the stage. Look what the Lord has done. He healed us, man. He protected us in this virus. That's praise. But in worship, he is the audience. You are on the stage. Is he clapping? Look at how he refused that corrupt. Look at how he he turned his back on that sin. Look at how he became generous with that offering. Is God clapping? Or, 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 or as an audience, he feels like changing the channel. Why? Because this show is so boring. Ah, oh, God does change channels on worshippers. God has a remote in heaven. You remember Saul? First Samuel 15, God sends, worship, God sends Saul to go and worship in Amalek. Saul gets there, he does his own things. And when Saul came with the animals, God says he must destroy. God changed the channel. He changed the channel from Saul and he found David. And God, I can watch this one. The question, when, when we gather and we lift up your hands and worship, is God clapping? Or he says, these hands, ooh, these hands. These hands. These hands were busy clapping the wife last night and today I lifted it to me. Is God clapping for the hands or he feels like changing the channel now? When you sing, you are holy, can God clap for these lips? These lips are saying holy today, but yesterday they were busy saying the F and the S words. As you're lifting up these hands, can God clap for the hands? Oh, these hands yesterday on the road, he was lifting up the finger. Today, these hands are lifted up to me. That's why the Bible asks, can sweet and bitter water flow from the same stream? That's where the question of worship is. That in a church, we are holy. But out of sight of the pastor and the leaders, we become something that contradicts what we profess here. 
when I speak to worship leaders and music ministers, I always want to emphasize that if who you present yourself to be on Sunday here contradicts who you are out there, then who you were there was just a show. The real you is there. And when you stand here to worship, God does not respond to this act. He responds to that behavior. Because you brought that here. It's just today, it's covered in a black and white attire. <laughs> the question of worship is not what you do in front of us. It's who you are when no one is watching you. Because sometimes I speak to music ministers, I always want to make sure that there's no filter here. <laughs> that if, if you lived a, a, the other life, the moment you stand here, you walk into the holy life. And God somehow forget everything. And he focus on this. No, 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 no. When you come here, you bring you all of you. <laughs> Standing here is, is the totality of who you were where we didn't see you. And God responds to that, to that to the totality. Last differences between praise and worship. I like this one, Emrud. And it explains my thesis. Watch it. When we praise God, God comes to where the praiser is. Why? Because praise attracts God to where the praiser is. But when we worship, worship does not draw the presence of God. No. Praise draws the presence of God to where the praiser is. I'll give you biblical, biblical proof right now. But worship does not draw the presence of God to the worshiper. No. Worship draws the worshiper to where God is. When we praise, he comes to where we are. Psalms 22 verse 3. Oh Lord, you are here. You are holy. You inhabit. When you praise God, you are setting up a throne for him to come and sit. Remember, we quoted the verses. Let's revisit the scriptures. Second Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah, they were not going to a prayer meeting. They were going to a battle. They praised God and God showed up to where they were. Acts 16.25, they were in prison, not at prayer. They praised in prison and God showed up where they were. Why? Because praise attracts the presence to where you are. But worship does not attract the presence. No. Worship draws you to where he is. That's why in praise, he comes to where you are, the way you are. But in worship, you have to take off some things. Because you, come to, you can't come to where he is, the way you are. That's why everybody who comes to his presence, the first thing God said to Moses, Exodus 3, take off. Watch it now. Somehow it seems to me, Marud, that the purpose of praise is to attract the presence of God into our situations so he can change the situations. But the purpose of worship is, for, is to attract us to his presence so he can change us. So worship has nothing to do with your situation. It has everything to do with you as a believer. Because when you come closer to him, there's a mirror which is the image of Christ. You see how close you are to his, or how far you are. That is why when we worship, there's an element of awkwardness, Marut. Why? Because worship exposes us. Praise hides who you are. Oh, man. See, my, my, my difficult. I don't like throwing statements without, you know, substantiating my statement. Watch what praise does. Let's pick up. Uh, let me switch on the key news. Let me use Acts 16.25. The Bible says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns 
Immediately. The prison foundation? No, no, no. It says they were praying and singing hymns. Then the Bible is specific to tell us that the prisoners heard them. Watch it. The prisoners were not joining in the praise. The prisoners were watching. Two guys were praising in a prison full of prisoners. Abba were not, the guys in the prison were not participating. They were watching and listening. But because of the praise of the two guys who know the God they are praising, the foundations were shaken. When prison doors open, it's not Paul and Silas only who were... Ooh, Churchill, don't go there. Watch it. When the prison doors open, all prison doors were open. All chains. The doors of people who were not participating in the praise. I came here to draw a point. Watch it. Because when you praise, he comes to where we are. And when he comes, he doesn't say, oh, it's you who's praising. I'll open for you. You are not praising. I'm going to punish you. No, when he comes, he opens doors. Even doors of people who were not praising were opened. Man, and I'm glad that was in the New Testament. Now, this says to me as a music minister, as a worship leader, then I, I don't necessarily have to stand here and say, come on, church, sing with us. But that's why we're no restoration, remember restoration. <laughs> so we need to fix our language. Come on, Bazalone. You see, it's when we sing together that the power. Wait a minute, here's a biblical proof. These guys were two. The whole population in the prison was delivered by the praise of two people who were watching. Got the breakthrough from people who were praising. And sometimes I ask myself, when I look at our music ministry, that man in our church, we are 20 on the stage. 20 musicians on the stage. We stop the song. Come on, break it down, break it down. Break it down, break it down. Basalwane, Basalwane, I don't understand. You left home, you come here just to look at us. Duh, these are prisoners. These are prisoners of issues of life. They are in the right place. It's well within their, their right to keep quiet and look at you, praise. Because there's a biblical precedent. So the problem is not so much that the church doesn't sing with us. Is that what are you singing there when on the stage? Because if you can fix your singing, your singing will deliver the spectatorship and when they see the breakthrough, tomorrow you won't have to ask them. Oh my goodness. I wish somebody was hearing me tonight. The reason why we gave you the cordless microphone. <laughs> the reason why we gave you the microphone. Let me, the reason why you stand on a higher podium. Is because we thought you have something to show us. <laughs> the reason why we gave you the microphone. We thought you have something to say for us to hear. Somehow, the, the more you stop the song because you want to hear us, it confuses why you have the microphone. Yeah. Dealing with effectiveness. Two guys sang the breakthrough in the prison for everybody else. Praise draws the presence, but worship 
does not draw the presence, no. The worship draws the worshiper to where God is. Why? Because the intention of worship is to alter the worshiper. The intention of worship is not to move God. Oh, let me drop that out. Brethren, in worship, the king does not move. In worship, the king is seated. In worship, it's the worshipers that do the moving. Remember the picture John painted in Revelations 4? He says, after he mentions all the things he saw, then he says, when I looked in the center of heaven, he says, I saw a throne. And the one who sits in heaven, God is seated. The movement is done by worshipers. The angels are flying up and down. Whenever the angels say holy, the 24 elders get up from their thrones. Not God. In worship, God does not move. In worship is the worshiper that must move. Where? To the posture of worship. To the feet of the one you worship. Why? Because it's only when you are at the feet, then you have a chance for you to meet the standard of Christ-likeness. Oof. I said a mouthful right there. So that's why then I'm zooming in on worship. Because once we understand worship and we start becoming like Christ, praise becomes a byproduct. Because praise, praise is triggered by the revelation you have of God and your observation of what he has done. So when you see that God has moved me from being stingy to being generous, that's a praise, that's a praise item. When you see my, your, your, pride, your pride range going to empty, Moving from full to middle and empty because pride is problematic. Pride does not just, is not delivered in one day. Pride is like a petrol tank. You, you, you know, you stay with God and it goes down and it goes down and then God blesses you and there's a potential for pride to be full again. You see, you see pride, pride is like that. But when you see God start helping you to deal with those issues, that becomes a praise item. So once you capture worship, praise becomes inevitable. That's why I'm zooming in on worship. So Churchill now, this restoration, where do we find worship? Now, for us to restore worship, we need to go back to where it began. Why? It's what I call a routine. It's, it's the principle of origin. When you get stuck along the way with a subject or, 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 or an idea or a subject, there's no point for us to bang our heads in the middle with confusion. Because all of us Pack that thought. Most of us, we had the word worship for the first time when we came to church. Most of us. And I'm saying that confidently because I know I, I, I count for about 90% of us. It's only a few who had the word worship somewhere else. Either maybe somebody who works in a, court, in a courtroom, they're familiar with the term your worship. And I think somebody who works in a courtroom understands worship much better than somebody who had the first time at church. Because in the courtroom, when you say your worship, you know that her, his or her word is final in this room. But somehow the worship concept that we learn in a church space, somehow it's a bit corrupted. Because it says, it sends the idea that he needs us. It sends the idea that we are doing him a favor. That's why when the song says, we lift up our hands, you see believers do like this. And you can see that, ooh, there's no revelation of worship there. Because, no, this is not the best we can do with lifting of hands. 
Let me prove it to you. When you meet the boys out there and they say, yes, when? Oh, these hands can go higher than waist. Somehow at church you think you're doing God a favor. That's why you think God deserves this. Church leave people's things. So, the principle of origin. We need to go back to where things began. Why? Because where things began, that's where they are most clear to us. So now, for us now to locate where it began, there's a, there are principles that Bible scholars use to interpret scripture. The one I want to use today is called the principle of first mention. The principle teaches that anywhere in the Bible you find a word for the first time, where you must zoom in. Because that's where the word is either it's explained or it's described. Meaning we need to look in the Bible. Where in the Bible is the word worship mentioned for the first time? That's where we're going to draw principles for us to look at the image of worship in the Bible and compare with the worship that we have today. But now our task is going to be when now the Bible informs us what worship looks like as God designed it and we contrast it with what we see today. Our task should be, we must be willing to bring back today what the Bible had that we have lost along the way. Because if we want the results of the Bible, we have to align our worship to how it was designed in the Bible. Let me drop this thought. I've learned my pastor that there's only one way to worship the God of the Bible, brethren. There's only one way to worship the God of the Bible. It's not how we feel about it. It's not even the denomination way, but it's the Bible way. He is the God of the Bible. This God, you have discovered him from the Bible. So when you worship him, you have to go back to the place where you discovered him. God, in his wisdom, decided to limit information about worship in this book. So most of us, we ignore this book. Go to the Facebook where there's lots of opinions and ideologies that don't align with the book of the law. And when you worship God according to what you pick from the Facebook, it won't give you the Bible results. It will give the Facebook results. <laughs> so now when it comes to worship, that's one area where we shouldn't have room for corruption. Why? Because the one we worship is strict on what he wants. When it comes to worship, God has no room for our feelings. He wants it the way he designed it. For the reasons he designed it for. Any other way is unacceptable to him. So Churchill, now let's go to the Bible and locate the first mention. The principle of first mention teaches that anywhere in the Bible a word or a doctrine is mentioned for the first time, that's where we need to park. Why? Because that's where that word or doctrine has been defined or described. But now one of my challenges as I study worship, Marut, is that the Bible does not define what worship is. And human beings struggle working with things they can't define. Human beings want to define everything. Yinile. That's why someone, somewhere in the, in the previous years, came with the concept that worship must be a slow. You see, it's worship when it's slow, Bob. You ever see a worship, man? Yeah, When you ask me to sing a song of worship, I go, You are Alpha and don't make. No, just praise this, man. Must praise this, man. But tell worship. 
Sekmana iti. You are Alpha and Omega. Siya worship again. Yabwana sifula mazul. No, 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 no. God didn't define worship. He left it open. For example, Hebrews 11 verse 1, God defined faith. Now faith is. Whatever comes after the is, is the definition. Anything else is not faith. But with worship, there's no biblical text or evidence that says now worship is. God said, no, when it comes to worship, Churchill, I'm leaving it open. I asked the Holy Spirit, why you never defined worship? Because now there's so many things that are coming up. And I conf- these definitions, they hold for the decades. After decades, they become obsolete. God, the Holy Spirit said to me, God never did not define worship because whatever you define, you can confine. When it comes to worship, he opened it up. That's why when it comes to worship, we need to be careful. Especially we, as, as charismatic, we need to be careful. Not to look at other denominations and say, but they don't worship right. Either. There's something wrong about worship in that place. You see, when you want to worship, it must come to us. You see, we worship, we and the question, I'm glad you worship, but now that they are wrong, you are right. What makes yours right and them wrong? Ah, Pelatina Baba Shangama keyboard. Now, the moment you reach it to music, you see, you, you, you just came out of the Bible. In the Bible, I did a study route. In the Bible, my study Bible is the New King James. In the Bible, there's only 197 scriptures that refers to worship, worshippers, worshipping, worshipped. 197 verses only in the NKJV translation. In all those 197 verses that speaks about worship, worshipping, worshippers, or worshipped, there's no mention of music or singing in the Bible. When the Bible paints worship, the human action or the worshippers' action is never on the microphone. But it's always on their knees. When the Bible presents worship, in the Bible, you, you won't find a verse that speaks about worship and the expression thereof is musical. No. When it speaks about worship, the expression thereof is death. It's surrendering, not singing. When I saw that, I said, Lord, right there, we, we, we have it the other way around. No, the Bible does mention music, but in relation to praise, not worship. We praise God with a song and a dance and a clap and a shout, but we don't worship him with a song and a dance and a clap. You worship him with a lifestyle. You can sing it all on Sunday, but if you never leave it on Monday, you have not started worshiping. That's why when it comes to praise, the Bible says, let everything that has breath, praise is for let everything. But when it comes to worship, it's not for let everything. In worship, the Father is looking for those. (laughs) In praise, anybody, if you have breath, praise, you are welcome. Praise me, praise me. (laughs) Praise, the criteria for praise is breath. But the criteria for worship is death. See what I mean? So when the Bible presents worship, 
The action there is never singing. There is a connotation. I don't want to lose you. There is a connotation of worship when you sing. Praises to God. Because the praises you are singing becomes a form of worship. But the singing is not the expression of the worship. The singing expresses the praise. The praise expresses their worship. Let me pack it there for today because I'm going to deal with that tomorrow when, I, when, when, when we go deep on this. Let me come back to the first mention and then we come to our close. So now, we need to go to the Bible and allow the Bible to paint, to show us where the word worship appears for the first time. Why? Because that's where God has either defined or described what worship looks like, not what worship is. Huh. Once I studied the, worship, the, the subject of worship, Marut, I've learned that God there is not so much concerned about what we call worship to be, but he cares about how we worship him. Where we worship, when we worship, who worships, and why we worship, not what worship is. And for too long as a church, we focus on the word. We measured on God's mind. God in the Bible does not pay attention to what worship is, but he'll judge you for why you worship. When you worship, Sunday morning, what about Monday to Saturday? Where is my worship on Tuesday? <laughs> Where you worship? Or you worship only when you walk on those gates? What about when you are at work? <laughs> who worship? You see now the who of worship is a problem. Because the who of worship is qualified by being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So let's go to the Bible and trace the first mention. Genesis 1 talks about the creation of heaven and earth. The word worship is not found. Genesis 2 talks about the formation of man. God formed man from the dust and breathed his breath. Worship is not mentioned. Churchill, what are we doing? We are looking for the first mention. I can tell you where it is, but I'll be doing a disservice to you. Why? Because as I walk you through scripture, there are principles of worship you're going to pick along other texts, other scriptures and chapters, even though the word worship is not mentioned. But we are going to stop on the first mention of the word. Right? So Genesis 1 is about the creation of heaven and earth. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 2, the formation of man. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 3 talks about the fall of man. God said they must not eat from the tree. You remember the story? And they disobeyed. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 4, we find watch it, a scenario of worship. But the word worship is not mentioned. The scenario is about Cain and Abel bringing their offerings to God. That is an act of worship. But the word worship is not mentioned in the Bible. Disclaim. It's only mentioned in the NLT translation in verse number 26. When the Bible says, when Enosh, the birth of Enosh, the Bible says, and men began to call upon the name. That's the original translation. It says they began to call. But the NLT translates the word call as worship. It's a theological discussion. We're not going to get into it. But in the original text, the word is not worship. It's they call upon the name. But anyway, calling upon the name of the Lord is a form of worship. So the NLT just summarized the thought. You see what I mean? But in terms of the mention, it's not mentioned there. So I had to hold that in there in case there are, there are people who, 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 who have studied this thing. You know, to mention that I'm safe as a presenter tonight. Today, you see, today you're dealing with a very informative generation. You can't just Google these things. Eh? You have to bring like well-researched stuff. 
Otherwise, you wonder why you're still preaching and they look at you and say, hey, this guy has Googled this thing. Hey, brothers, people, I'm to and say, hey, man of God, I'll see you tomorrow. For today, I've got everything on Google. You see, so you need to be sure. You know, so I have to kind of like be safe. So watch it. Let's draw a printer from Genesis 4. The Bible says, watch it now. Cain and Abel are bringing their offering to God. It's an act of worship. The principle I learned, I want us to draw from that, is that in the eyes of God, there's only two kinds of worship. There's acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. Brethren, watch it. God does reject worship. God is not desperate for worship. God does reject worship. Cain brought his offering as worship. And God looked at it and said, no, 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 no. The Bible says, watch it. The Bible says God looked at Cain and his offering. No, no, it starts with Abel. It says God looked on Abel, looked with favor on Abel and his offering. The worshiper and his worship. And God accepted that. But when God looked at Cain and what he brought, God rejected that. When I was growing up in Sunday school, I was taught that God rejected Cain because he brought the veggies. <laughs> and he loved Abel because he brought the meat. God is not a vegetarian. He is a carnivore. It worked with me because at Sunday school. But the more I dig deep, I'm rooted, I realize that no, it's not, just, it's not just about the veggies and the meat. But it's where they got it from. I don't want to waste too much time here because I'm going somewhere. But let me drop this thought. The Bible says, sometime later, Cain brought some of the produce of the ground. He brought some of the produce of the ground and to God. Then the Bible says, but Abel. Once you put a but between the two guys, already there's a difference. It says, but Abel brought, watch it now, the firstborn of the fattest of his flock. And God responds, looked on Abel and his offering with favor. But God did not look with favor on Cain and his offering. So God just the worshiper first, and then he decided on the worship. He looked on the worshiper, your lifestyle, and judged on the worship, your actions. Your actions are acceptable or rejected on the basis of how you live. Your singing is judged by your living. There is nothing in my singing that can cover up for my... But there's everything in my living that can override what I lack in my singing. Oh, I, I, I need to teach this, Marut. As much as God wants us to sing skillfully and excellently, but in terms of weight, the living is primary. There's nothing in the beauty of my voice that can make God to overlook the fact that I don't live a holy life. The lack of holiness makes my sound of my voice to be noise in his ears. But there's everything in my purity and holiness that can cover up for what I lack musically. And you're going to see when I wrap this thing up tomorrow. When I learn that principle in root, it does not okay bimba ring, Bazalon. <laughs> but it only says, if this is the best that we have, 
if this is the best that we have, it must be done by the best that lives. <laughs> if it's the best that we have, it must be done by the best that lives the right way. <laughs> because God knows if it's the best that we have. <laughs> Amen. So, Genesis 4. The Bible says Cain brought some of the produce of the ground. And I had to study further. I realized that, no, man. Where Cain got his worship, that was the problem. Cain's worship lacked the, the element of God's will. It had the element of human desires and human will. Cain's, will. Cain's worship was out of his will. It had nothing that looks like the will of God. Wow, I'm glad you asked. Genesis 3, the Bible says after Adam and Eve sinned, God came to pass judgment on the serpent because you deceived the woman from today you'll crawl on the boat. No, you'll crawl, yes, on, 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 on your bail. The change was on the body, meaning the serpent was not crawling before the judgment. Actually, the serpent had legs. It lost the legs because of the sin of man. And God came to Eve because you listened to the serpent and you, did, you, you gave to your husband to eat. From today, you'll give birth with pains. Meaning women, you were not meant to give, you're not meant to have birth pains. At creation, you were meant to just give birth in with a smile. But the pains are because of the judgment. Then when God came to Adam, he said, cast is the ground. The Bible says the ground produced thorns, meaning thorns were not part of God's creation in Genesis 1. Hold on. Right there, let me deal with that. Thorns are a byproduct of the judgment on man. Not on God. When God created heaven and earth, there were no thorns. Thorns came after the judgment of man. The same way the, the serpent lost the, the feet, the same way the woman had the pains when the judgment on man was the thorns on the ground. That the ground that used to feed you easily, you're going you're gonna to get pain. Your pain is not on the board. Your pain is in your life. You got it for free and you took it for granted. Now work hard for it. So the ground is what the ground is? Cursed. Watch it. The next chapter, Cain is looking for something to worship God. Where does he go? To the cursed ground. He brought to God something he took from a cursed place. And God said, Cain, I don't roll like that, man. I'm a holy God. You can't just go around picking stuff around anywhere and bring it to my house. And it's the point where I pause and I speak to music ministers. And ask the things that we do in the house, where did we get them from? Are they from the will of God or are they from church and lead people's things? So, but Abel's worship had an element of God's will. The Bible says Abel brought the firstborn of the fetters of his flock. For Abel's worship, he had to kill. Blood had to flow. God killed the first animal. Abel's worship, Abel said, no, no, I don't want to do my own thing. I want to repeat what God started. And God was like, that's the man after my heart. So the simplest thing we can do for ourselves is to worship God the way he has narrated it in the Bible. It guarantees his acceptance. Because in God's eyes, there's only two kinds, acceptable and unacceptable. Because God does reject worship when it's not offered according to his will. Move on. Genesis 5 is the one we don't like reading in root. That's just about the genealogy from Adam to Noah. So-and-so begets so-and-so. So-and-so begets so-and-so. And begets so-and-so. And the list is, when we get there, I, there's no revelation here. We page fast. And it's, you see, you, you must not skip. You must read the Bible even the way. You see, our skipping, we are missing a lesson about a worshiper now. 
Verse 20, 21, 22 talks about Enoch. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. He lived for 365 years. He walked with God until he was no more. When I saw that, I saw a worship, Hamarud. The Bible says Enoch walked with God until he was no more. The Holy Spirit showed me that has got two connotations. One, it means he walked in the natural, the physical. It means he walked with God until he was no more, meaning he was raptured. He was no more found on earth. He was taken. But in the New Testament lens, it means he walked with God until he was no more. It means he walked with God until his ego was no more. He walked with God until his pride was no more. He walked with God until his unforgiveness was no more. He walked with God until his stinginess was no more. He walked with God until when people looked at him, they didn't see the Enoch they know. But they saw the God he's walking with. He walked with God until he lost himself in God. This is what Paul meant when he said, it is no longer I who lives. Because I'm no more. How? Paul, where did you go? I crucified myself. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the question is, in our walk with God, are we losing ourselves? Because a worshiper is not someone who sings well, but a worshiper is someone who drops some stuff along the way. What have you dropped lately? Because if you drop nothing, it means there's something wrong in your worship. What of you have you lost this week? Is there something that we can look at you this week and say, he is no longer like he was last week? Because we can't keep coming to the presence of the Lord. Like we went to a mirror. The Bible says God is a consuming. How do you walk with fire and fire never bends your ego? How do you walk with fire and fire never bends your pride? If everybody changed when they walked with God, how is it that we are still the same? He walked with God until he was no more. Meaning a worshiper is someone who keeps on losing himself and they are slowly but surely becoming like Christ. Move on, Churchill. Genesis 6 talks about the wickedness in the earth. Worship is not mentioned. Verse 9 introduces Noah. Genesis 7, God says to Noah, get into the ark. Rain is coming. Genesis 8, at the end of the rain, Noah comes out. Verse 20, the Bible says, And Noah built an altar and offered, watch it now, to God, sacrifices from clean beds and clean animals. Results, God smelled the pleasing aroma. And God said, never again will I curse the earth. Another principle about worship now. As we go into the first machine, we're almost there. Watch it. The Bible says, when Noah offered his worship to God, God responded. And God... It's interesting. The Bible did not say God had the burning of the wood. Because sacrifice, burning has got sound. Fire makes sound. No, 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 no. When we worship, God does not necessarily hear what we sing. But he, he smells how we live. It means that worship has a scent. In Zulu, he worship in a pung. In Kosa, he worship in a vumba. In Sut, worship in a limongo. And the question is, when you worship, what smells? Hong Kong. 
when you lift up your hands to worship, I'm trying to born in the worship I made it. I made it. No, man, the church is on their knees. Everybody's worshiping. But you go in your No, managerial position. No, CEO. The question, I just want to ask a question. When you worship, what smells? But God smelled a pleasing aroma. And when the aroma was pleasing, the Bible says, and God said, depending on what smells, God either will say or God will not say. Maybe the response doesn't I told you from Nkunkul in worship is just blocked by what he smells. Because worship has a smell. When you worship, God does not hear how you sound. He, he smells your scent. The question is, is it a pleasing now? You should move fast. Genesis 9 talks about the covenant God made with Noah. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 10 is like Genesis 5. It talks about the genealogy of the children of Noah. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 11 talks about the Tower of Babel. God said, people, they must fill the earth. He said, no, when I build a building that goes to heaven, worship is not there. Genesis 12 talks about, introduces Abraham. That's where the Bible says, God said to Abraham, come out of your father's land. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 13, Abraham separates with Lot because of the conflict of the, the, the shepherds. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 14, Abraham rescues Lot from the kings that attack Sodom. That's where Abraham paid the first tithe to Melchizedek. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 16 talks about Haggai and Ishmael. Remember, Sarah couldn't give Abraham a son. And he said, take Haggai, let her That's where Ishmael was born. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 17, God seals the covenant with Abraham. He made it Genesis 15. That's where Abraham's name is changed from Abraham to Abraham. He is circumcised at 99 years old. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 18 talks about the three visitors that came to announce the birth of Isaac and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where Sarah laughed. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot's wife turned into the pit of salt. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 20 talks about Abraham and a, king, and a king named Abimelech. That's why Abraham denied Sarah for the second time and says she's not my wife. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 21 talks about the birth of Isaac and the banishing of Ishmael. Worship is not mentioned. Genesis 22 talks about the offering of Abraham going to offer Isaac. Verse number 5, the Bible says, And Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and we will come back that's when worship is mentioned for the first time genesis 22 verse 5 remember the principle anywhere in the bible you find a word for the first time that's where you need to park why so you can see the picture god is painting for worship now churchill what's the significance of the first mention i'm glad you asked the first mention sets precedence for the second mention the fifth mention the tenth mention and the hundredth mention meaning whatever you learned about worship in genesis 22 verse 5 you must carry with you when worship is mentioned the second time, you must bring those principles in the text. That what you learn that becomes clear. Am I clear, Vazalon? Are you working with me? Watch it now. So meaning, watch it now. It was interesting, Muruti, to learn that God only used the word worship from his mouth 
I'm getting out of myself. Pack, 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 pack that thought. Pack that thought. Let me introduce the word. So the first mention of worship is in Genesis 22, verse 5. The Bible says, And Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship. Principle one. We are where we want to be now. Watch it. Principle one. When the word worship appears for the first time in the Bible, it did not come out of God's mouth. It came out of Abraham's mouth. Look at the Bible. Genesis 22 verse 5. The Bible says, And Abraham said, Stay here with the donkey. To the servant. So the word worship, W-O-R-S-I-P, when it appears for the first time in the Bible, it did not come out of God's mouth. It came out of Abraham's mouth. Why? So as to say, this has been labeled by a human being like you. So if he did it, you too can do it. God only used the word worship for the... It came out of God's mouth for the first time in Exodus chapter 3 and the burning bush when he was talking to Moses. Go to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they may... That's when God, God only used the word worship for the first time. Genesis, Exodus chapter 3. But Abraham used it for the first time. It's what I call in entertainment term that Abraham holds the naming rights. <laughs> so what Abraham named it, when we use Abraham's name, it must be because we are going to do Abraham's actions. You can't call what you worship if what you do is not like what Abraham was going to do. <laughs> is it clear? You can't call it worship if it's not what he did. Because when he said, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I are going over there. We will worship and come back to you. There's something he had in mind. So when you say you are having a worship night, worship experience, these days there's worship lunch. I don't know what's happening there. But whenever, whatever worship thing you're having, the question I have, now that you are using a term, that came from Abraham's mouth for the first time. Are your actions similar to what he was going to do? <laughs> maybe not, maybe not physically, but in intent. The question is, what did Abraham mean, Churchill? <laughs> when Abraham said to the servant, stay here with the door, I'm going there to worship. He did not mean we are going to sing slow songs. So according to Abraham's mind, a worship night is not a night of singing slow songs. Remember, restoration, we're revisiting what the Bible is about. Now let me drop a thought. When Abraham used the word worship in verse 5, Moruti, Abraham used the word worship as a camouflage. He was hiding a deeper biblical truth. Why? Because the people he's talking to, it was none of their business. Walk with me now. Let me take you on, on a thinking journey with scripture. Genesis 22 verse 5. Abraham said, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I were going over there. Hey man, it's none of your business. Yes. No, we will worship and come back to you. Because when you look at where the story begins and God calls Abraham to do this thing, God didn't say anything about worship. Look at verse number 2, Genesis 22 verse 2. The Bible says, and God said, Take now, watch it, your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, watch it now. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will show you, full stop. 
God said nothing about worship. God only talked about a burnt sacrifice. When Abraham got to the place in verse 5, he said to the boys, now I've gotten to the place where I was called to. Boys, stay here with the donkey. I'm going to take the one that was requested, not the one who's accompanying me. And we, I can't tell you what was told to me in verse 2. Why? It's too much information. You won't handle my worship. So don't even bother trying to analyze why I worship the way I do. Because you were not there when I was given the instruction. So even if I explain my worship to you, it won't make sense. So he camouflaged what he was told. He found a word. He borrowed a word he can use to camouflage this truth. As a matter of fact, in root, Genesis 22 verse 5 was supposed to be written like this. Stay here with the donkey. I'm taking my son, my only son, whom I love, Isaac, to that mountain to sacrifice him as a burnt offering because God told me so. I'm coming back. Stay here. What do you think these boys were going to do? That's the reason why sometimes you struggle with your worship. Why? Because you, take, you explain your worship too much to people who have nothing to do with your call to God. You explain your worship. You see, the reason I worship is because... No, 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 no. Stop explaining your worship. It's, they won't understand it even if you try. Actually, the more you explain, is the more they'll block you. It's the more they'll tell you, no, you didn't hear from God. I mean, Abraham did not even tell his wife. Why would he bother tell servants? The Bible says he left early in the morning. Meaning Abraham left while Sarah was sleeping. He stole the boy to worship God. Sarah was shocked when they came back together. Actually, she was not shocked because she didn't know what happened. It's Isaac who... You see, Isaac... May God raise sons for you like Isaac. Sons that you will nearly kill and they'll come back and say nothing. Not sons who when they curse them, I'm going to tell on you, pastor. <laughs> May God raise some Isaacs in this house. Sons who will go through some experience with the senior leaders and come back to the church and say nothing about what happened on the mountain. Not the ones who are going to run to social media. Isaac was a true son. He saw his father lift a knife. <laughs> and as his father was about to slay him, and he saw his father stop slaying him, and his father say, God says, I must not kill you. We must replace you. Isaac saw, and he's like, my goodness. <laughs> Isaac's praise changed from that day. I, I think every time he woke up, he, he, when he saw something shiny, he was like, oh, oh, I'm still alive. God, you are so good. You see, sometimes it's because maybe we have not had those near-death experiences. That's why sometimes you wait for the worship team to pump you up to praise. But if you have been where some of us have been, man, you understand what David meant when he says, enter the gates with thanksgiving. Because I saw something sharp during the week. There was a knight that was about to slay me, and God said no. There was a car that was about to bunt me, and mercy said no, man. So Isaac had a story to tell. So Abraham camouflaged the action. He used the word worship. So it means, again, Fundis, when we say, when you say you are worshiping, you are camouflaging the truth. It's not clear what you're doing until we see the action. 
So worship is not in what you say. It's in what you do. Ah, but I had a beautiful time of worship yesterday at home. Praise God. What were you doing? Because it's easy to say, you know, you see, worship was great. Worship was amazing today. Okay, what happened? What was the action to show us the amazing? Because what was amazing for Abraham and Isaac is for Abraham to go to the mountain intending to kill the boy and come back having sacrificed, but not the boy he went to sacrifice. That is amazing. Worship was transformed. That was transformative worship. So when he said worship, he was camouflaging a deeper truth. He used the word worship as a camouflage. So when Abraham said we will worship, he did not mean we are going to sing slow songs. No, watch it. When Abraham said we will worship, sis, he meant I am going to the mountain. I am going to kill what I love in obedience to a God I own. That's what he meant. Stay here with the donkeys. Why? I'm going to kill what I love in obedience to the God I own. So when the Bible presents worship for the first time, it doesn't have a connotation, a connotation of a good musical experience. But it, has a, it, it denotes something that you love going to be slaughtered. It did not, it speaks about you putting on the altar, slaying with your own knife and burning with your own fire something that you love. Why? Because you love him more than this thing. That's when true, true worship does not begin when the song you like starts. No, it begins when the things you love dies. Oh, I'm at my end right there. So, if when we worship, when we worship, if nothing dies when you worship, your worship is incomplete. <laughs> if nothing dies when you worship, it's incomplete. No wonder when Paul explains it in Romans 12, now in the New Testament aspect, where we are no longer offering sacrifices, he says, I urge you, watch it in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. How? Holy and acceptable to God. Why? This is your reasonable act of worship. What Paul is saying that if we are reasonable in worship, we won't only sin. The other translation says, this is your rational. So, Pila Pila, what the Bible is saying to us is that just singing slow songs and saying you have worship, you are being irrational. <laughs> There's no thought process given to this. No wonder he said, in view of God's mercy. Why? In view of the mercy God has extended on you. In view of the fact that you shouldn't be here. But mercy said no. So now you could, don't live for you, live for him. In other words, say Paul is saying, in view of what Christ has done for us on the cross, he died a death that was not meant for him. So rationality says, I have to live a life that was meant for him. He died my death, then I have to live his life. That's where worship is. Worship is not in the singing equation, but worship is in the surrendering equation.
and watch it. Surrendering what you love. No wonder God says, take now your son, not your nephew. So meaning somehow in worship, my brother, we have to offer to God what's ours. Not what's borrowed. No wonder then time and again, God, when he speaks about singing praises in worship, he calls, sing unto the Lord a new song. Why? It must be your song. The songs that are written are meant to help you to come to the point where you can get to your song. So until you actually come to singing your song unto the Lord, you are still flowing towards worship. Because it must be your son. Watch it, God makes it further. It must be your only son. What you offer in worship, it must be that thing after you have offered, it leaves you inconvenienced. If it doesn't inconvenience you, it's not at the biblical worship's equation. If it's true worship, it must inconvenience you. Can you imagine if really Isaac died on the mountain and Abraham had to come back to Sarah? No wonder Abraham had to declare it before he left. He said, stay here with the donkey. I'm going there to do what he asked for. But we'll come back. Meaning, I have to come back with him. I'm going to kill him, but I'm coming back with him. Meaning, I think for Abraham, it was Mr. Speed. It was like, I'm going with him. If he doesn't rise, I'm not coming back. How am I going to explain this to my wife? After waiting 25 years for this thing, then one morning I wake up and I snatch him, I kill him, and I say, it's God. It doesn't make sense. So Abraham was resolute. Actually, Hebrews 11, when he explained this action, picking up on the hero's faith, it says, Abraham reasoned that this son, God gave him from the deadness of my loins. I got him from the grave. If I kill him for God, the same way he gave it to me, he's going to come back to me. Whew. That's the faith element in worship. The reason why sometimes we can't kill what we love is because we don't know God like Abraham knew him. When you know that if you give, it will come back to you. Watch it. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together. You give it without hesitation. It's almost like Abraham knew that if I kill him, he's going to come back again. He believed God anyway. That's why Hebrew says Abraham reasoned. No wonder Paul says, in worship, come on now. Don't just be hysterical and spiritual. No, be irrational. When it comes to worship, God says, kill this habit in honor of me. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. So when God says, be ye holy, it's like when God said to Abraham, take now your son. It's the same action, but different dimensions. In Abraham, is the Old Testament, it's physical. But in the New Testament, it's spiritual. But the instruction is the same instruction. Be ye holy as I am holy. So for you to be holy, you have to kill certain habits. You have to kill certain appetites for unholy activities. You have to take those appetites to the altar and leave your friends on the bottom of... And go there and slaughter those things. And when God smells the pain of you saying no to something you like, that becomes a scent that rises from your altar to God. 
and God smells it. And then God starts speaking blessing in his heart about you and your family. That's the way it, that's way it turns. And so my task for tonight is just to show us, brethren, that when the Bible presents worship, there's no singing. That's the first mention, right, in the Bible. But watch it. It's the first mention in the Old Testament. Let me prove this theory and then we'll close. The first mention in the New Testament, there's no singing. It's Matthew chapter 2. The wise men from the east coming to worship the baby Jesus. They go to Herod in Matthew 2 verse 2, the first mention of worship. Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. These guys have come to worship. Let's see if they brought some songs. First track to verse number 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the baby with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down in worship. And they presented their gifts. Gold, um, frankincense, and men. In the Old Testament, the first mention of worship had a sacrifice brought before God. In the New Testament, the first mention of worship has something precious. What was gold to the wise men was Isaac to Abraham. And brought to the same God. Same action, same recipient, same worshippers, same... Watch it. The wise men... Let me drop this thought. Abraham might have, might have labeled the action as worship, but the action did not begin with Abraham. It began with God. And in the, in the instruction, God didn't say anything about worship. It was Abraham's conclusion. In the New Testament, when the angel Gabriel appeared to the, to the wise men, the angel Gabriel didn't say anything about worship. He only spoke about the child that was born. <laughs> These guys left home, said nothing. When they got to the vicinity of worship, they labeled the action. They said, where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. It's the same action, different Testament, different dispensation, but the same thing. When you worship, you have to part with something precious. Meaning, if nothing dies, that worship is not the one of the Bible. No wonder it does not attract a divine response from the Lord. When Abraham was about to slaughter, God showed up there. And after you offered Isaac, the Bible says, God said to Abraham, watch it, God said to Abraham, now I know that you fear God. Why? Because you did not withhold to me what I ask of you. After the wise men offered, God spoke and he said to them, do not go back the same way you came. So how is it that we keep coming to worship nights? We're coming to worship experiences, but we go back home the same way we came in. It's because we didn't have a worship encounter. We had a music encounter. Music will make you feel good for a while. But when the song is over, you're going back to feeling what you were before the song started. There's no transition of life in music. There's only info. There's an evocation of emotions and feelings. It stops there. Music can only go as far as your soul, not the spirit. It's only the word of God that can affect the spirit of man. 
So our understanding of worship apart from music is key, Muruti, to the restoration of worship. So that when the music is offered, music is offered within the confines of a living sacrifice. Actually, it's a living sacrifice that sings. So God does not necessarily respond to the singing. He responds to the living sacrifice. Because when there's a pleasing sacrifice, when there's a pleasing aroma, God speaks. Not necessarily for the singing. So when the Bible presents worship, it presents something that strips the worshiper. It's interesting when you, even you watch the worshipers in heaven in Revelation 4, the Bible says when worship breaks in heaven, the 24 elders are seated on their thrones. Throne is a, is a seat, of, it's a position. And they are placed there by God, man. And they are wearing crowns. Crowns is a sign of authority. They are given the position, they are given the authority by God. But when worship breaks out in heaven, the worshippers strip. What? Something precious. Everywhere in the Bible, worship is mentioned. A worshiper needs to strip. Why? Strip something that makes you, you. What, made, what was going to make Abraham the father of many nations was Isaac. And God said, worship, strip. And Abraham was willing. God said, you are the man. The wise men were loaded. They had gold. But when they saw the baby Jesus, they stripped. And God said, I'm pleased with you. You can't go back the same way you came in. In heaven, when it erupts, the 24 elders strip. Watch it. They get off their high horses and assume the biblical posture of worship. If when you worship, you are still minding your position. No, the call of worship is to strip you of all these things God gave you. Anything you can give up for God has become your idol. And worship somehow is God's way of testing, am I still God in your life? Or these blessings have replaced me. Because Isaac came from me. You've been waiting for this child for 25 years. Now that you have gotten what you've always wanted, who's number one in your life? Where are your priorities? When you had no work, you used to come here at the church and clean. You didn't mind to come and serve. Today you are doing well. Serving is too low for me. Worship is when God puts you on the altar. And say, can you lay down your reputation for me? If you can, there's a greater blessing that follows there. And if you can't, then what you can't give up for God becomes an idol. And God has an issue with idols. Remember what he did to Dagon? That's how God deals with every idol. God has got one way to deal with idols. So God would say, lay it on the altar for me. If you can't lay it willingly, it gets broken. And that's the reason why time and again, and I'm saying this from a, from, with humility, is the reason time and again, you know, the things God bless us with, time and again we lose the things. Why? We lose things we are not willing to give up. But the things we lay down, we get them again. Remember what Jesus said. He said, anybody who, who loses on my account, you gain back. And what do you lose? In worship. But anyone who refused to lay it down, you lose even the one that you're trying to keep. So the call to worship, it's a setup for more. Ooh. 
No wonder God loves worship. Why? Because worship is it's like worship is his way of saying, I want to give you more than what you have. When Abraham got up the mountain, that's Genesis 22. Genesis 23, Sarah dies. Genesis 24, Abraham marries a woman by the name of Kedur. And God blesses him with more four children again. Wait a minute. The same Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was willing to lose Isaac. <laughs> so what you are not willing to lose for God, you lose for good. Oh, that came out very well. <laughs> it blew me too. What you, are not what you are not willing to lose for God, you lose for good. And worship is God's way of saying, watch it, you can retain this thing. How? By losing it to me. If you give it to me, it's going to come back to you. So in my closing remarks, when the Bible presents worship, that's my thesis for tonight. When the Bible presents worship, the action is not necessarily. And I'm, saying, and I'm putting the inverted commas. I'm going to qualify that tomorrow when we go deep. The action is not necessarily the singing part. But it's the living. Not the singing. It's the living. The question of worship is, are you willing to kill what you love in obedience to the word of God? And every step of obedience to the word is the right step in the direction of worship. That's where worship is, according to the Bible. And hence I mentioned that Abraham did not initiate the action. He only labeled it. It was God who labeled, who initiated it, which teaches me that worship does not begin with worshipers. Worship begins with the one we worship. Meaning he's the one who sets the tone of worship. He's the one who decides the offering of worship. He's the one who decides where you are going to worship. No wonder when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman as God, Jesus said, now, woman, listen to me carefully. Now we are about to shift worship. It's no longer in the temple. Because a few days from now, I'm going to die. When I die, the presence in the temple is going to come out of the temple. It's going to come into human bodies. So where must you go to worship? You don't need to go anywhere. You just need to close your eyes and you are already in the place of worship. Why? Because God is right in there. In there with you. So one of the things I'm going to deal with tomorrow, I'm going to deal with what I call the elements of worship. To show you, watch it now, that every worship scenario in the Bible have got these five elements. So I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. One, there's what the Bible called the worshipped, the one who starts worship. The one, the worshipped is the recipient of worship. And then number two, there's a worshipper, the one who brings the worship. Number three, there's what we call worship. is the offering that is brought to the recipient. Are you with me? The number four is what I call the workshop. What is the workshop? The workshop is the place where the worshiper brings the worship to the worshipped. Oh, come on, walk with me. I'm done. One is the worshipped, the recipient of worship. Number two is the worshiper, the one who brings the worship. Number three is the worship, the gift that is brought. Number four is the workshop, the place of transacting. Number five, the last one, this is the reason why for worship. It's, why I, it's what I call the workmanship. What the action of worship is fulfilling in your life. 
Once you understand these dimensions, I tell him, the day the Lord taught me these things, and they're all over the, the Bible. God is the worshipped. He's the one who told Abraham to go, to go and sacrifice. Abraham is the worshipper because he's the one who's bringing the offering. Isaac is the worship. He is the gift that was requested by God from Abraham. The mountain in Moriah is the workshop. That's the place where Abraham is going to meet with God to bring to him what God asked for. The father of many nations is the workmanship. That's when God finally sealed what he promised. Take the same thought now. Come to the New Testament. The wise man. The baby Jesus is the worshipped. He's the one who was receiving the worship. The wise men are the worshippers because they are the ones who are going to worship. The gold, frankincense, and may are, is the worship. That's the gift that is brought. That stinky, smelly place in Bethlehem. That's the workshop. That's where the worshipper meets the worshipped to present the worship. The workmanship is what they became after the encounter. The Bible says the wise men went around telling of the good things they have witnessed. <laughs> now come to you and me now. According to Paul, Romans 12 verse 1. Because remember, I use all these three texts to explain worship. So I need to be able to take all these five elements and show you how they apply in our lives. So in, in where we are now, watch it now. Paul says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your body. So the you he's talking to and the body that must be offered are two different entities. Walk with me. I'm done. I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy to offer your body. So the you and the body that is offered are two different entities. Are you with me? So the you he's speaking to, he's speaking to your spirit man. Ah, that's where worship is. Watch it now. So when Paul says, I urge you in view of God's mess, he's speaking to your spirit man to offer your body. Well, the body is of the spirit. <laughs> the body is the house of the spirit. When the spirit leaves, the body is useless. Genesis 2, God formed the body. It was just a corpse. Only when the spirit knocked on the door, the body became life. So Paul says, you spirit, the image of you that looks like God, I'm talking to you. Offer this flesh, this body, as a living sacrifice. I have to explain that this is how the five elements work in us. Now watch it. The worship. No, let's read the text first. Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is a reasonable act of worship. The offering of the body. So, the, the worshipped is God because this thing is offered to God. The worshipper is your spirit man because it's your spirit that must do the offering. The worship, the gift is your body because it's the body that is requested to be offered. Now, Churchill, the question is, where is the workshop? Where does the spirit meet God so he can offer the body? Park that thought. Let's go back to Genesis 22. The workshop in Genesis 22 is the mountain in Moriah. 
come to Matthew chapter 2. The workshop for the wise men was that stinking smelling label in Bethlehem. What makes, what qualifies a place as a workshop of worship? It's not where the worshiper wants to go. But is anywhere the recipient of worship chooses to be. Walk with me. So for Abraham, God chose the mountain in Moriah. The mountain became the, wash, the workshop, not because Moriah is special, but because of the presence there. So I'm not talking about the Moriah there. I'm talking about the Moriah in the Bible. So the stable in Bethlehem becomes the workshop, not because the wise men want it to be, but because that's where the presence was. Jesus was. So question is, where does God dwell today? To answer that, let me show what Paul says in Acts 17. He says, God does not dwell in buildings made by men's hands. But according to 2 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that your body is the temple of God and the spirit of the Lord dwells in you. So your body is where the recipient of worship lives. So watch, watch the explosion of worship. The worshipped is God. The worshipper is your spirit. The worship is your body. The workshop is where God is. In your body is your body. The workmanship is when you become like Christ. So you are a walking worship encounter. You don't have to come here to start worshipping. You are too late when you start here. Actually, you must bring worship. You must come here on fire in worship. Then you can fulfill what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When we come together, one comes with a word, one comes with a hymn, one comes with a prophet. You bring something. The reason why believers keep saying, hey, the service was called today. It can't be explained. You brought nothing. There's no heat to be found here. Fire. You are fire because you are a living sacrifice. A sacrifice must be placed on fire. So when you say the service was cold, you can't blame the pastor. You can't blame the team. Check on your worship and count. So we are a working worship experience. You don't have to wait for Sunday. As you drive out tonight home, the recipient is there in the car with you. The worshiper is there, is driving. The gift requested is the one that's, that's, that's driving them. The place for meeting is you also. And the workmanship is what awaits you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My time is up. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we don't have to go anywhere. But worship is here. It's all in here. When Jesus said a time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, he was not talking about going to building. He was talking about the kind of worship that erupts when you're at the mall. And suddenly you remember that God is good. And right there, you start praising him. Why? Because he's waiting for you on the inside of you. No wonder Abraham said, stay here with the donkey. Why? Because in the place of worship, spectators are not welcome. 
It's so amazing, Muruti, to learn that in worship, according to the Bible, in worship, there are no spectators. The Bible time and again, in Genesis 22, the Bible presents the mountain of worship where Abraham was going to worship in Moriah. And then when you read Exodus 17, the Bible presents another mountain where Moses climbed to pray. Let me show you how the two differs. And somehow, in our understanding of worship, we've got it, we've got it vice versa, Bazalwan. Watch it. When Abraham went up the mountain to worship, he told the two guys who came with him to stay down. Why? Because in the place of worship, you don't need help. You are enough all by yourself. You don't need to be helped with anything. So Abraham told the boys, this is worship, Buffett. It's not a show. It's worship. God is the audience. I'm on the stage. So stay down there. Stay out. But when Moses went up the mountain of prayer, Moses said, this is prayer. Come up the mountain with me. Why? Because in prayer, you need help. In prayer, the man of God needs help because the Lord is heavy. In prayer, the man of God needs help. The mountain of prayer is populated. It has got three people. But the mountain of worship, Genesis 22, it's empty. It has got one person and his offering. So it seems to me that worship is more private than we have presented to be public. Prayer is the one where we should be men. And somehow it's the one where we don't come. Because in prayer, he can't carry the Lord alone. This thing is heavy. When he keeps the vision, the rod up, the camp wins. When he gets tired in prayer, the camp loses. So he needs to have people with him in prayer. When his hands get weary, people who are going to say, man of God, we are with you. You don't have to carry it all by yourself. People who will bring a rock, oh, interesting, who will bring a rock for him to sit and help lift his hands. No, lift, don't touch the rod. Lift the rod. The rod must be on his hands. You lift the hands up. In prayer, we come with him. But in worship, it's on the clock. <laughs> and I'm aware that, you know, I'm actually bringing a lot of principles, you know, and some of the stuff, you know, they kind of like contradict everything we have known. But this is how it is when you're restoring. Because when you restore, you need to paint a biblical image and then you confront what you have. Brethren, truth is, as a musician, somebody who's been in the music space for over 32 years, music will never change lives. Music will never change our lives. If music could, we should have changed long ago. If music had the power, musicians in the church should be leading by example. So we have put so much emphasis on something that does not have the transformative power. And we neglected that altar. <laughs> that has got the power to transform the lives. So for us to enhance the worship experience in the house, start with us dying to self. Dying to self. Dying to our agendas. Dying to our plans. I believe it's Proverbs 19.21 that says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's will that will come to pass. 
One of the reasons why sometimes ministries don't take off as quick and as effective as God intended is because the ministry, you know, is full of people who are still alive to themselves. Any word of the Lord that is spoken from this place, it gets resistance from people's agendas. There are no hearts that are ready to die. But I'm trusting God for transformation. I'm trusting God for transformation. That the more of us we are willing to lay ourselves on the floor. Listen, the, the hesitance to die, Mruti, it's because of the lack of assurance on the integrity of the one we are laying ourselves before. That's why I had to show you that Abraham reasoned according to Hebrews 11. He said, I man, what God is asking from me, I didn't have it before him. He's the reason for my breakthrough. So me giving to us the vision of the building of the project, I'm actually giving back to him what he gave to me. So if I lose it to him, I'm guaranteed it's going to come back. But if I consume it myself, it ain't coming back no more. So I'm better off as a worshiper partaking in the vision of the house than me as an imposter coming for blessings and running away. Hey, Churchill, man, leave people's things. You see, my problem is that I always try to teach, but tell me again, the preacher wants to show up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but worship is about you killing what you love in obedience to the word of God. That's why when you look at verse number five, number six, the Bible says, Abraham took the knife. After he left the boys, he took the knife, he took the wood, he took the fire. And he went to the place of worship. I call those instruments of worship. These are not worship instruments. This is not a worship instrument. That is a music instrument. It's an instrument to make music, not worship. The instrument of worship is the knife, the wood, and the fire. And the question is, when last did you sharpen your knife? Because when we talk about worship, then I need to show you the knife of worship. Because in the place of worship, something needs to die. You can't kill with a microphone. You can't burn with the drums. You need the knife. And tomorrow we're going to break it flat. Show you where is the knife. Show you the wood that you need to carry. So I've learned, Mrut, that once we establish our feet on principles, actions, just becomes the vehicle for the manifestation. But the, the actions, the singing, does not trigger the response. The response is triggered by the principles. So tonight I'm actually going for the roots. Not the fruits, the fruits are in. Once the root becomes right, it won't be long before the roots start sending healthy things to the branches. And the branches start to produce healthy fruits in the next season. And I don't know where we were as a church, but one thing I can tell you, that after this weekend, after this encounter, there comes a season where we are going to bear fruits that look like nothing we've ever had before. I'm trusting God for the kind of worship that's going to erupt at Cosmos City Church, that even when somebody's walking past there, something is going to arrest them and bring them in here. Why? There's something attractive about the presence of God. Have you noticed that Jesus never ran promotions? 
Jesus never promoted. As a matter of fact, Jesus kept on telling people, don't promote me. Keep quiet. Don't say why. Because the aura of the presence of God. God promised us in Acts chapter 2. How have we forgotten it? The Bible says, after it says, they devoted themselves in the apostles' doctrine, the prayer, the fellowship, and the The Bible says, and God. Why? Because of the principles. Because of the standard. And God added daily those who were being born again. The church in Acts didn't have a marketing budget. There's no budget that can promote God. Only his manifestation can make this thing happen. That's why tonight is about. And it feels like a workshop. It feels like you're really being worked in this shop. But that's why we are here tonight. You know, to come and confront aspects of worship that probably we've never thought about before. That as you are by yourself, you are everything God said to Abraham. Now the question is, are you going to get up early like Abraham to go do it? <laughs> or are you still going to hesitate? Yeah, God, what you're asking for me is too much. My son, my only son, whom I love, that's where worship is. It's not worship if it doesn't have the action of love. Whatever you give, it must be that which you love. Somehow worship has an element of doing what God has already done. Remember what I said about Abel? That Abel was repeating what God did. He killed because God gave. No, God killed. God says to us, offer your body. Why? Give. He said to Abraham, offer your son. Why? Because that's what I intend to do for mankind. So copy me. You can't become like me if you don't do like me. <laughs> Christ in you the hope of glory. So God gave. That's why he's asking us to give. Because he has done it. So if we do what he did, I'm not going to get what it. God gave the only and he had the main. When you give that only, you are guaranteed of the main. And that's why worship is not easy. Because worship calls to separation with what you love. And there's so many things that we love, Ruth, that some of us need to confront. Some of us love the soapies. We don't have time, to, we don't have, we, we, we can't even spend 30 minutes with God. Why? Because you can't miss a program. So you must lay down what you love so you can get what he has for you. And here I believe, I'm going to say, Eshman, Churchill, you see what you're talking about is too much, man. Hey, man, time, but we don't have, to, you know, we are busy. Too many things are happening. Let me show you that the problem is not time. The problem is priorities. There are things that you love more than God. It's not that you don't have the time. And if you're willing to be the worshiper God is calling us to become tonight, then you must be willing to kill the things you love so you can have moments with the one you own and transformation in the life. Ooh, it's guaranteed. So you're going to have to give up some of the programs. See, that's thing that we watch between half past six and half past ten. <laughs> half past six, half past seven, half past eight, half past nine. That's four hours. <laughs> There's God's time there. There's, in that four hours, um, Konja, Konja, what do we watch? I'm, I'm, I'm done, brethren. I'm done. I'm not going to call altar call or anything. I'm done. I'm just going to close. I'm done. So, so I'm done. Let, 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 me, let, let, let me just run a poll. Konja, what do you watch from half past six to half past seven? No, from half past six to seven. What plays on TV? Yes, Kim Sam. My wife loves Kim Sam. From seven to half past seven? Rhythm seat. You know? I, I used to, but I, I don't follow it anymore. I, 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 I died to, to rhythm seat. Half past seven to eight, what do you watch? 
Gomorrah, yes. Then 8, 12 past 8, what do you watch? Generation, yes. Half past 8, 12 past 9, what do you watch? Uzalo, yes. Half past 8 to 9, 9 to half past 9, what do you watch, Konji? Yes, yes, the queen and others. But say half past nine to ten, what do we watch? Yeah. Half past nine to ten? Yeah, what? Yes, half past nine to ten, we watch you wait for. Thank you, my friend. And say, come, 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 we are done, we are done, we are done. I need the pool so I can know how much I have to do tomorrow. From ten to half past ten, what do we watch? Oh, you wait again. Oh, you are still continuing. You see, Maruti? Now, Maruti. The reason why some of us now are quiet is because from 10 to half past 10, data is depleted now. <laughs> ne? Data is depleted. Watch. We have overspent what we love. We are left with what we can do without. And it's at the time where I want to pull my Bible. When I'm depleted, I've got no more energy. It's at the time where I want to pull my Bible. And say, let me just read one verse. And when you open your Bible, your eyes just become to each, become each. You look at the words, the words are busy dancing in the Bible. Because barely you have reached your daily limit. You are human, you can only focus. I mean, after the four hours watching TV, all that light hitting you, you have... You have consumed the world so much, you have no space for the word. The word starts jumping. I know, I, I used to do that. The word starts jumping and you're like, yeah, I'm a God, you know my heart. <laughs> and you're right. God knows your heart, that your heart does not prioritize him. You're telling the truth. He knows your heart. That's your heart. In your heart. He doesn't have a throne in your heart. In your heart, God is an usher there at the gate. After Skimsam, after Karabo, after Taumukhali, after all those idols you have, God is there at the end. God only gets the crumbs that falls off our table. And we do it from Monday to Friday. You wonder why come Sunday morning, you want to blow in worship. Now you want to you want to regurgitate in public something that you did not ingest in private. And you stand here, you busy say, you are holy. There's none like you. Nothing happens. Oh God, we need you in this place. Nothing happens. Why? Because it does not start here. <laughs> it should have started there at home. So when you come here, you come here on fire. So that even when you come here, you're on fire. When you stand next to a brother whose battery is fled, but because yours is fully charged, when you start blowing in your worship, there is none like you, oh God. You are worthy of the praise. I bless you for all you have done. If it had not been for your goodness and your grace, I wouldn't be here today. That's why my heart is so grateful. That's why I'm so thankful. When I think about your goodness, oh God, how you kept my family in this, in this pandemic, oh God, I, I, I run out of words. If, 
if I had a thousand tongues like David, still it wouldn't be enough to tell of your goodness. And you pick up on everything while you're worshiping. And this one came here dry. You can't stand next to so much fire and still remain cold. The more you worship him and you open up your mouth, it's like you're sending out spiritual jumper cables. As I keep on praying, you see, as, as, as I was blessing him now, something in you was beginning to, like, should I? Uh, is he inviting us or are you still teaching? Uh, you see, that's what worship does. So the more we have a, a lot of believers who come to church like that, they'll be fine in this place. There'll be so much fire, there'll be, the room will become so small for the harvest that's coming to the house. And I'm saying that prophetically. Why? Because everywhere in the Bible, there was a move of God. There was people coming from all ends of life. Why? Because there's something in human nature, especially those who are not born again, that cries for the reconnection with the Lord. The question is, when they come to our gathering, do we have the signal? Because if we don't have the signal, they'll come and spend a day with us and they'll never come back. But if they come in here and they find this place is fully charged with the presence that I need, they come not to pass, but they come to stay. And I'm trusting God for such to take place in this place. Thank you so much for your audience. God bless you. Amen. Thank you.